Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord, it is our, it is our desire to love you with all that we are, all that we have. Lord, we confess that far too often we fall short in that. Lord, forgive us for that. We, we do desire to follow after you. Lord, we know that you are everything that we need. Nothing that this world has to offer compares to you. Lord, we thank you for your long-suffering and your patience towards us. We thank you for your, your, your quickness to pour mercy over us. Lord, we thank you for the amazing truth that is found in the words that we just sang. That you, that you pursued us. That you washed us. You cleansed us. And Lord, you desire us to, to have this close, intimate, personal relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for giving us your word, for sharing with us your very heart. Lord, it's our desire tonight that as we study your word, that you would, that you would reveal yourself more to us. But Lord, we also ask that you would reveal ourselves to us, that you would that you would remove anything that is, that is blocking, receiving everything that, that you desire for us to have tonight. Whether that be some preconceived notions, some areas in our lives, Lord, where we have convinced ourselves that we're, that we're okay. Lord, we give you free reign tonight. Have your way in us. Speak to us. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good evening. Please take out your, your Bibles. Open them up with me to the book of Judges, chapter 17. We continue our study through the, the Old Testament the Hebrew Bible, for those of us that were in Israel, that's what the Jewish people refer to it, the Hebrew Bible. Uh, the Old Testament judges, we continue our study through the, the lives of the children of Israel. And, and over the past months and, and years, actually, we've, we've looked at their, their travels. And we've seen how, how God delivered them out of the, the hands of the Egyptians by Moses. And then, then with that, that leadership was then handed off to Joshua and, and how they entered the promised land and they began to take possession of what God had given to them. Then after Joshua passed away, that generation of Joshua, we have been studying in the book of Judges how continually the, the children of Israel turned their back on God. And how they, they fell into sin, fell into worldliness, followed the, the, the gods of the people around them, got involved in the worldliness around them. And God would then turn them over to what they asked for, that, that he would allow these people around them to, to come in and, and, and take them captive. But then God was always faithful when they cried out to him to send a deliverer, to send a judge. And we've gone through and we've looked at those judges. And last week we finished up looking at them with the judge Samson. And as we begin our study of the last five chapters in the book of Judges, we need to understand first off, this isn't chronological. Chapter 17 does not follow chronologically after Samson. As a matter of fact, there's some evidence, and we'll look at that at the end of chapter 18, that this, this, this time frame happened within a couple of generations of Moses. That, that, the, that we, we get kind of a snapshot of, of this time and, and the depths of which the children of Israel actually plummeted when they turned their back on God. We get a look at, at, at their mind and at their heart. And I have to tell you that these, these next five chapters we go, to, go through, it's awful difficult to find anything redeeming in them. 
It's it's these these are these are tough chapters. I was I was mentioning to Ed earlier. There's there's some areas of scripture that are a lot easier to teach than others, and this is not one of them. <laughs> we as we look at at what what happened, we we get a we get a glimpse at one of those times when the children of Israel turned their their back on God. So chapter 17 Beginning verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim, northern part of Israel, whose name was Micah. He said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver which were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse in my hearing, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. Then he returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother, and his mother said, I wholly dedicate the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will return them to you. So when he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of the silver and gave them to the silversmith who made them into a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household idols, and consecrated one of his sons that he might become his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Here we see Micah, this man, and and his mother. And the story, first of all, this, this amount of money that's here, 1,100 pieces of silver, that's a substantial amount of money. And it goes missing, and his mom utters a curse on whoever took the money. Well, Micah hears this curse, and it kind of freaked him out a little bit, and he said, hey, mom, I took it. It was me. And she said, oh, blessed be the Lord, son, you know, and... And then, and then she says, well, you know, since you're, since you're such a good boy, since you're so honest, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give this money back to you. We're going to dedicate it to God, and we're going to make some idols out of it. And we, and we just look at this, and like I said, it's, it's, it's difficult to even read through this and understand how anybody could possibly think that this is, this is honoring God. I mean, we, we could look at Exodus 20 and go through the list of the Ten Commandments, and it'd be, we'd, be, we'd be easier to find the ones that they didn't break. I mean, we look, first of all, the biggest one that jumps right out at us is, is commandment number two, idolatry. God specifically said, don't make graven images. Don't make molten images. We see, obviously, thou shalt not steal, he stole, that honor your father and your mother, don't covet. I mean, we could go through the list and breaking all of them, and and there's, there's, no, there's no conviction of sin at all. As a matter of fact, the way that this reads, it almost feels like, you know, hey, we're honoring God with this. Notice, it says here, blessed be the Son by the Lord. That's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That means that that is, that is she's referring to Jehovah. Yahweh, not just some God, not Adonai, not, not some, some any old God, but no, the almighty God, she, she brings him into this equation. And then she says, I wholly dedicate the silver from my hand to the Lord. It's unfortunate that we see in here that, that in sin, in even blatant disregard for God's word, people somehow feel comfortable in that it's okay if we just sprinkle God into our lives. We plug God in a little bit here, a little bit there, mention his name here and there, and then somehow that just erases all the rest of the things in our life. You've probably seen it numerous times. I don't watch the, the, the Grammys and the Emmys, but I've, been, I've had people send me little clips of, of people that get up and receive these awards for, for filthy movies that they were in. And they say, I'd like to thank God. You know, I, I got to think, you know, God's up there saying, don't bring me into that. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> But, but there's, there's, this, there's this attitude that is out there. There's, I, I think I've even mentioned this before, a show that I, I, I used to watch occasionally. One of the stars of the show wears those not-of-this-world shirts and wears them proudly. Yet every third word out of his mouth has to be bleeped out of the show. And again, it's this idea that, you know, if I just, if I just say God in here, if I just mix and sprinkle God in, everything's going to be okay. 
The problem is, if there is any godliness whatsoever in that action, they compromise all of the, all of the rest of their life. They, 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 they settle in to this. They mix God into their, their worldliness. Now notice it says in verse 6, in those days there was no king in Israel. King with a small case, K. There is a king in Israel, capital K, the king of kings and lord of lords. God said, I'm your king, but they disregarded that. They, they, they didn't honor him as their king. And we've said this many times, and it's true, but it bears repeating. If, if God is not, not lord of all, he's not lord at all. Lord, the, the, what that carries with it, and again in the New Testament when it talks about he is Lord, he is master, we are his slaves. And when we start mixing in and, and picking and choosing and just kind of sprinkling him in here and there, he's no longer Lord, he's our, he's our plaything. He's our genie in a bottle. Again, our prayer as we've been covering in, in, in Matthew, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. His word, all of it, his will is revealed to us in his word. But when we disregard that and we just use him in our own ways, then basically in essence, and that's what we see here in a nutshell, making up their own religion. That, that I want God to play this certain role in my, in my religion, the way, the way I want it to be. I'll obey the things that, that, are, that are easy, the things that are, that are convenient, the things that, that, that don't cause me too much heartburn, but, and I'm going to disregard those things that are difficult, those things that might make me stand out in a world that might make, bring, bring contempt against me. Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you if you follow my word. It's, it's a bad sign if we can go through our life and our everyday life and nobody takes notice that we can just fit right in. Regardless of whether we have a coffee mug on our desk or a bumper sticker on our car, if our lives don't reflect that. And that's what we just see here, this compartmentalization of God. You know, I'm a, I'm a Christian on the weekend, but I live my life through the rest of the week. Very, very dangerous. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man. In the end, it leads to death. There's, there's, there's no conviction at all going on here. Notice, it says that he made a shrine, verse five. He made an ephod, that's the, the breastplate that, that they would wear, making it really look totally official. Other idols that were there, these, these, that word there indicates that those were pagan idols that would be that they put up for good luck kind of charms that were there. And then he goes on and he says, well, I, I, I don't have a priest, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name one of my sons as priest. I'm going to consecrate one of my sons as a priest. And then it goes on to say that this is all taking place in the house of Micah. Now, all of that is breaking numerous, again, commands of God. That it wasn't left up to people to start their own home churches back then. They were to go to one place to worship God, and that is Shiloh. But that, was, that must have been inconvenient for him. So he's going to come up with something more convenient, again, something that more fits his style. I, and, and in this, we see a, a principle that we, get, that we take out that the Bible tells us not to do, that we aren't to draw away from the people of God and kind of set up our own thing, even if, though it's more convenient. The author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 10, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're not supposed to be separate from each other. We're supposed to be gathered together with one another. And again, so that we, that we are fed, that we are nourished, that we, again, as it's outlined here, we encourage one another. We need each other. That's, that, that's the beautiful part about how God's family is designed, that we need each other to encourage one another, to challenge one another. Micah needed somebody to come along and kick him in the pants, <laughs> but he separated himself from anybody that would, that would challenge him and pulling himself into his own little world and then everything's, everything's okay. 
we are to come alongside one another. And it says all the more as you see the, the end drawing near, as the days become more and more evil. We need that. We need that. I, uh, I read this at one time. There was a the letter to the British, new, an editor of the British newspaper. A man complained that he saw no sense in going to church every Sunday. He said, I've been attending services quite regularly for the past 30 years, he wrote. And during that time, I've listened to no less than 3,000 sermons. But to my consternation, I discovered I cannot remember a single one of them. I wonder if the minister's time might have been more profitably spent on something else. Now that obviously prompted a lot of responses. But this one stood out. I've been married for 30 years. During that time, I've eaten 32,850 meals, mostly of my wife's cooking. Suddenly, I discovered I cannot remember the menu of a single meal, and yet I received nourishment from every one of them. I have the distinct impression that without them, I would have starved to death a long time ago. <laughs> we gather together, yes, to study God's word, to receive nourishment from God's word, to sing his praises as we did earlier, but then again, to encourage one another. He had none of that. He set up his own little thing all by himself. Well, chapter, or I'm sorry, verse 7. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah who was a Levite, and he was staying there. Then the man departed from the city from Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he might find a place. And as he made his journey, he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to stay wherever I might find a place. Micah then said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year, a suit of clothes and your maintenance. So the Levite went in. The Levite agreed to live with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons, so Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me, seeing as I have a Levite as a priest. Here we see another one doing what he thought was right in his own eyes. Now the Levites were told they were given specific instruction. They didn't have their own land, remember? They didn't, get, they didn't get land split up for them. They had specific cities where they were supposed to stay and they were supposed to minister to those in the surrounding communities. That wasn't good enough for this guy. We're gonna find out his name's Jonathan at the end of chapter 18. It wasn't good enough for him. He said, you know what, I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do something that's right for me. I'm gonna go find something else. And look, he's just like, I'm gonna go until I can find a, find a place to land. And Micah, in this, tries to legitimize his sin by saying, oh, hey, look, almost as if saying, man, look, God is sending a, a priest to me. It says here that he went, he went in, and if you have the New King James Version, it, it, it says that, that he, he, he was content to be there. They agreed to, 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 to do this thing. They're kind of like, this is a win-win. Hey, I need a priest. You need a place to stay. Hey, win-win. It's got to be right. And they were content with that. Well, Paul tells us something very important about contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Just because you're content in a situation doesn't make it right. Godliness. Again, disregarding God's word completely. It tells us again here, first he consecrated his son, but then here comes this guy, he consecrated. He has no authority to do that. Yet he places himself in that authority position, again, to legitimize his sinful life. He, I have to think that, again, when we read this, just the way it's rolling out for us, we look at this guy Micah, I don't think he was insincere. If he was insincere, he wouldn't have gone through all of this trouble. I think he was very sincere in what he was doing. He was very committed to what he was doing. But confidence isn't based, that, that we shouldn't draw our confidence from something that we're sincere about. That, that can lead to huge problems. <laughs> but the world says all over the place, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, right? I mean, we hear that everywhere. It doesn't matter 
what God you believe in, as long as you're sincere in what you believe. You know, all roads lead to heaven. Just be sincere about the road that you're on and it'll get you there. That's just, that is a lie from hell itself. I don't care how sincere I am when I get on the motorcycle and try to jump over the Grand Canyon. It's going to end bad. (laughs) Sincerity isn't the key. Godliness, again, is the key. Truth (laughs) is the key. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It doesn't matter how sincere you are, any other direction. There's only one way. There's only one truth. Well, we leave Micah for a moment as we begin chapter 18. Again, it says, in those days there was no king, little k, of Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for themselves to live in, for until that day, an inheritance had not been allotted to them as a possession among the tribes of Israel. Now we have to be careful when we read this because it almost sounds like Dan was left out when all of the land was given out. When the lots were, were cast and, the, and they, they came and they divided the land and they set them up. But that's simply not true. We know from, from Joshua chapter 19 and the beginning of the, the book of Judges, that Dan was allotted land. As a matter of fact, they were allotted very good land. The land that had beautiful coast country in it, had fertile ground, had mountainous, mountains, mountainous regions, beautiful land that the tribe of Dan was given. The problem was they didn't go get it. They didn't go in and possess the land. And it wasn't like you could look at it and say, well, they were, they were outnumbered. Again, doesn't matter. God gave it to them and said, go take it. God plus one is a majority. But the, the, the other thing when we look at it, Dan was the second largest tribe next to Judah when they were going in to take this land. They had no excuse other than they said, you know, this is difficult. We see in, in the beginning of the book of Judges that the people that were there forced them into the mountains and, and they just retreated. They didn't, they didn't fight. They didn't battle. So here they're they're saying they're seeking an inheritance. They already had one, but they weren't happy with that one. It was hard. They were going to have to fight hard for that. They were going to have to work in that, and they didn't want to do that. So they turned their back on what God had laid before them. Each and every one of us in this room has a course that has been set before us. Each one of us has a race that we are to run. God has given each one of us our own race, our own course. And he has given us everything we need to complete that journey. And he will reward us accordingly as we run the race with endurance, as as the author of Hebrews challenges us to, stripping off the sin which so easily entangles us, putting aside all of those things and running the race that is set before us. The problem comes in when we say, this race is too hard for me. I don't like this race. I want a different path. One of, one of the, the favorite th- things that just ministered to me so much when I was going through a very difficult time when we were losing our business and, and, and all of that, and I've shared that with you before, but when I was praying, God, change the circumstances bring customers, change what is going on. I basically was saying, I don't like the path that I'm on. It's too rocky. It's too steep. But my whole life changed when I heard somebody challenge me to pray differently. Instead of praying, God, change the path that I'm on, start praying, God, give me the feet I need to walk the path that you've placed me on. And everything changes then. Because again, he will honor that prayer. He will honor that request. As difficult as it seems, as hard as it is, he will never allow us to face something that we can't get through in his strength, in his timing. When we start looking for something else, when we start envying others, when we start saying, well, what about them, God, and what about this, and what about that? When we start trying to run away from our problems, realizing that the problems don't go away if we move so many people have, have said, you know what, I'm, I'm looking to go to this place and get a new start, a fresh start. Guess what? 
You're just changing locations. The path in front of you doesn't change. God has, again, given us each one, of the, uh, each one of us that path to run, and he will give us what we need to get through it. Dan said, you know what, I'm, it's not worth fighting. Let's go, let's go find something else. So, verse 2, so the sons of Dan sent from their family five men out of the whole number, valiant men from Zorah and Eshtaol, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said to them, go search out the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah and lodged there. When they were near the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young man, the Levite, and they turned aside there and said to him, who brought you here? And what are you doing in this place? And what do you have here? So they're from the south part, and so was he. And they're up there and, you know, kind of wondering, you know, they, they, heard, they heard this voice in there. And maybe he said, you know, from the south, you know, shalom, y'all. I, I don't know if, how they picked it up, but they recognized. And he said to them, they're asking, what are you doing here? How, how, what, how, how did you end up here? And he said to them, thus and so has Micah done to me, and he has hired me, and I have become his priest. They said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether our way on which we are going will be prosperous. The priest said to them, go in peace. Your way in which you are going has the Lord's approval. You know, it's really, really easy to find people to tell you what you want to hear. It's really, really easy to find ministries that will tell you what you want to hear. You don't have to flip too many channels and listen very long to hear what your flesh wants to hear. Bottom line is, we need people in our lives that will tell us what we need to hear. If this was truly a man of God, he would have said, repent. Go back, claim the land that God has given you. But instead he goes, hey, you're good. <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be just fine. Paul again, in his letter to, second letter to Timothy, end of his life, he says this, chapter 4, 2 Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and in out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you... Be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Here we see Paul almost answering these first six verses there. He's, he, he's saying, you know what, guys? I've finished my course. And by the way, it wasn't easy. It was, it was one of the most difficult courses ever laid before a man. Yet he, he walked it, and he fulfilled it, and he's completed his course. And you know what he says? He says, it's all worth it because I'm about ready to go home and get my reward. And he would challenge anyone that is thinking of trying to find a different way to make it easier to find, to find a reward here and now saying it's not worth it. It's not worth it. What lies ahead of us, this momentary light affliction, is nothing compared to what awaits us in glory. He's, but he did say, and he warned, he said, if you, they're out there. If you want to find somebody that'll tickle your ears, that'll tell you what you want to hear, they're out there. And he warns us. 
speaking through, through God's word to us now. Be, be aware of this. And we live in those times. There, there, people are everywhere, again, that'll be glad to tell us what, what we want to hear. But denying the truth, turning away from the truth. And that's what happened here so clearly. <laughs> Go ahead. You have the Lord's approval. Then the five men departed, came to Laish, and saw the people who were, who were in it living in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure, for there was no ruler humiliating them for anything in the land. And they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. Very secluded place. When they came back to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtaol, their brothers said to them, what do you report? They said, arise and let us go up against them, for we have seen the land and behold, it is very good. And will you sit still? Do not delay to go, to enter, to possess the land. When you enter, you will come to a secure people with a spacious land, for God has given it into your hand, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. This place is beautiful. This is one of the stops that we go on on our trip to Israel. And if you've been to Israel, you know when you go up to Dan, the area that is there, it is beautiful. It's one of the the three main sources of the Jordan River. And it comes right out of the ground right there, and it is a rushing river. And the foliage, it's just, it, is, it is an absolutely beautiful place. Not lacking anything. It is, it is absolutely beautiful. You can't blame them. You can't blame them for looking at the land and saying, man, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. Who wouldn't want to live there? But we have to be so careful that the lure of the world, what the world shows as such, such beauty, that, that, that in our flesh we could desire those things. We have to be so careful because it is that alluring, that, that trap that the world draws us in. Notice, not one time here does it say that they stopped and sought the Lord. Not once did they pray. Not once did they seek God's guidance and counsel in this. They went to this so-called priest, but they didn't go to God. Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 30, the Lord speaking, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan but not mine, and make an alliance but not of my spirit in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me to take refuge in the safety of the Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. God, God isn't condemning here in, in, in Isaiah the fact that they went down to Egypt. He, what he's saying is you didn't ask me first. You didn't consult with me first. He may very well have directed them in a certain direction. But without going to the Lord, without consulting him first, not after there's a big problem and a mess and in the middle of it and then saying, all right, God, get me out of this. Before, seeking the Lord before, None of that happens. Well, verse 11, then from the family of the Danites, from Zorah and from Eshtahol, 600 men armed with weapons of war set out. They went up and capped, encamped at kiriath Jerim in Judah. Therefore, they called the place Mahanadan to this day. Behold, it is west of kiriath Jerim, just in case you're wondering. They passed from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. This guy, it was like a Motel 6 or something. I mean, it seems like everybody passes through. You go by the house of Micah. Then the five men who went to spy out the country of Laish said to their kinsmen, Do you know that there are in these houses an ephod and household idols and a graven image and a molten image? Now, therefore, consider what you should do. They turned aside there and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, to the house of Micah, and asked him of his welfare. The 600 men, armed with their weapons of war, who were of the sons of Dan, stood by the entrance of the gate. Now the five men who went to spy out the land went up and entered there and took the graven image and the ephod and the household idols and the molten image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with the weapons of war. So they, they come, they show up, they said, hey, how you doing? Everything good? And the, and the priest comes out. While they do that, the five go in and take all the stuff. 
And coming out now, he says, when these went into Micah's house and they took the graven image and the ephod and the household idols and the priest said to them, what are you doing? They said to him, be silent. Put your hand over your mouth and come with us and be to us as a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest of the house of one man or to be the, the priest to a tribe and a family in Israel? The priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household idols and the graven image and went among the people. Priest for hire, better deal comes along. He's all, all in on that. Sounds, sounds good to him. Then they turned and departed and put the little ones and the livestock and the valuables in front of them anticipating that they're going to face an attack from behind for taking all of this. When they had gone some distance from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house assembled and overtook the sons of Dan. They cried to the sons of Dan who turned around and said to Micah, what is the matter with you that you have assembled together? He's like, what, 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 what do you want? He said, you have taken away my gods which I made and the priest and have gone away And what do I have besides? So how can you say to me, what is the matter with you? The sons of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us or else fierce men will fall upon you and you will lose your life with the lives of your household. So the sons of Dan went on their way and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. Amazing transaction here. Again, here's these these men of Dan going up, again, to, not happy where they are, going to go find something else. They come across this, this Micah's house. They steal all of his stuff. And then when he comes out and says, hey, what are you doing? That's mine. They threaten to kill him. By the way, Micah is a Jew, one of their fellow countrymen. Yet, again, in, in their sin and in their action, how quickly they are ready to turn on even their own brethren. To, to Again, wh- who are you to t- come against us? Amazing when we look at this Micah and, and the situation that he is in. Notice he says, you have taken away my gods which I made. The, uh, by the way, the creator is always greater than the creation. <laughs> you took away the gods that I made. Well, go make some more. I mean, if that's if, if that's truly where, where you know, you're, you're finding some comfort but when we look at this a little bit more, I mean, look at, listen to the desperation. What do I have besides this? You've taken it all away. Guys, if, if you can be separated from your God, you got the wrong God. I, I, I don't know about you, and I'm sure I can speak for every born-again believer in this room, the great comfort that we have in the word of God that says nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing, not even death. As a matter of fact, that just brings us closer. (laughs) Nothing can separate us. Everything that the world offers, all the gods, all the idols, all the everything, we can be separated from. And if if that's the case and, and your life revolves around something that you can be separated from, you can end up like Micah. Now what? If your God is your job, what happens when you lose your job? If your God, God is, a, is a hobby or something like that, what happens when you can no longer do that? If your God is a person, what happens if that person is separated from you? There's only one God. <laughs> and the, we can never be separated from Almighty, the true and living God. What great, great comfort we have in that. Well, we finish out the... The chapter here, verse 27. Then they took what Micah had made, what Micah had made, and the priest who had belonged to him, and came to Laish, to a people quiet and secure, and struck them with the edge of the sword, and they burned the city with fire. And there was no one to deliver them, because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. And it was in the valley which was near Beth Rehob. And they rebuilt the city and lived in it. They called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their father, who was born in Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. 
The sons of Dan set up for themselves the graven image, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up for themselves Micah's graven image, which he had made all the time that the house of God was at Shiloh. What a, what a sad statement that last part is. All the while, Shiloh was the place that this, was, this worship that, of the true and living God was supposed to be taking place. Yet they had set up this place, and, it, and it, 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 it's, it's such a, uh, a glaring example of how they can convince themselves that they're okay, that they're okay with God. Dan became the center of idol worship for, for Israel, for the northern tribes of Israel. Never came out of this, this time of idolatry. Notice it was, it was that way until the day of the captivity of the land. Remember, they fled the land down below because they thought it was too difficult, too hard. They move up here thinking, man, look at this place. And they're so secure, they don't have any problems. Guess what? The Assyrians came from the north. Who's the first ones that were slaughtered by the Assyrians, the tribe of Dan? The Assyrians were merciless when they came through this area. And again, this whole idea that, that they could somehow mix this, this, this worldliness, and they t- take these molten images and, they, and these, these gods that are handmade. And, and Jeroboam, following Solomon, when after the, the kingdom is divided, the northern tribes, they... He goes there and he sets up an altar. And when we go to Dan and we visit that area, there's actually a big altar that is set up at the top, made out of metal to show the size of this altar that they built at the top of this area in Dan. And they worshiped there and they made sacrifices there. And again, this whole time thinking, we're pleasing God in what we're doing. But again, the, the word of God is clear. None of that pleased God. They weren't obedient in any regard to that. And as we, as we close, just a couple of thoughts again. To, like I said, it's, it's difficult to find anything redeeming in this story. But we can take away some things as we've talked through already. But one of the, the key things, I believe, and it kind of even ties into this weekend as we're getting ready to finish Matthew chapter 7. This idea that, that I'm okay with God because I feel like I'm okay with God. Because I'm doing certain godly things. Even though disregarding God's word in so many other areas in my life doesn't match at all what I profess. But, but I, I, I proclaim God. I carry on this certain religion aspect carry on these superstitions that if I'm doing these certain things, I'll be okay when I finally stand before God. That is a deception, a deception that so many people have bought into. We will be looking at this this weekend in in greater detail, but Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and few find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit but the bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So you will know them by their fruits. Now, he goes on to say something again. We're going to look at this in, in much greater detail this weekend, but verses that, that should cause everyone to pause. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many, he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. 
It's not enough just to, just to carry around God's name with you. It's not enough to just do certain, certain godly things, yet live a life of lawlessness, to live a life that is in direct disobedience to God's word. Again, Paul in, in 2 Timothy in, in, in chapter 3, we spoke of this last week with, with Samson. He says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Interesting when that word love that's used over and over there is not the word agape. It's the word phileo. It's that love of feeling, emotional love that we have toward brotherly love. And, and that love of feeling, you know, again, it, it, feels, it feels good. It's okay. You know, if it, it, that whole mantra, if it feels good, do it. Pleasure, seeking pleasure, seeking my own interests instead of loving God, loving what feels good, loving what seems right. He says this, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Holding on to this notion of godliness, but denying its power, because there is no power when you take away the word of God, the truth of God's word. Paul said in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. The gospel, the truth of God's word. If we turn away from that, we turn away from all power. It's, again, a pretty sad, sad report when we look at this. And we're going to see, quite honestly, next week when we finish up Judges, Lord willing, the last three chapters, we're going to see some absolutely horrific things that happen. If you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. There's some stuff in there you're not even going to believe that people would do as we read through that. And we're going to say, man, compared to chapters 17 and 8, or compared to 19, 20, and 21, 17 and 18, what we just looked at isn't so bad. But I would challenge you that the stuff that happens that we're going to talk about next week doesn't happen if 17 and 18 don't happen. If we stick to the truth of God's word, if we, if we live by that, not, all of these other things, they, they don't happen. We don't slip into that. Jesus, again, in, in Matthew 7, as we'll finish this weekend, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house, yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Certainly individual application for each individual person. But I know in the room here, full of people who, who love our country. And unfortunately, our country has turned its back on the word of God. Has turned its back and said, you know what, if it feels good, do it. If it's, if it, you know what, let, let's, let, you know, we're not going to call sin, sin anymore. And unfortunately, way too much of the so-called church has bought into that and said, you know what, it is, it is, you know, kind of, so let's not, let's not go there. We'll, we'll accept this. We'll okay this. We'll, you know, I know the Bible says that it's wrong, but let's find ways that we can incorporate that in it. It'll lead to disaster. I love the fact that you're here on a Wednesday night in the middle of the week to hear God's word and know what it says. But guys, we have to do it. We have to, we have to live by it. We have, to be, we have to be dedicated to living out God's word regardless of what goes on around us. Again, if we build our, build our foundation is built on the rock and the solid foundation of God's word, the storms are gonna come. Things are gonna come against us, but we will not fall. We will not fall. It's not, not meant to be a big guilt trip tonight. <laughs> but it is, like I said, it's difficult to find redeeming things in this other than, guys, we have the truth in our hands. 
And we will never face anything that God will not get us through in his power, in his strength, if we follow him, if we remain obedient to him, especially in the times that we live in now. We can be that example. We can be that refuge to those who are going to continue to chase after those other things and find that it's empty and unsatisfying and that there's nothing there. And we can then share that truth with them. Well, let's, let's pray. Lord, it is difficult sometimes to read these certain sections in your word, but you put them in there again so that we can learn, that we can see the devastating results of what can happen by simply following after our own flesh, our own desires, and sprinkling you in here and there just to make us feel better. Lord, if there is any area in our life that we have compartmentalized, that we have set aside and said, this area isn't yours, this is mine, Lord, we surrender that to you now. Show those areas to us. You are king. You are Lord. We are, we are yours, bought with a price. Our desire is to, is to follow you, to live for you. Lord, we do pray for our country. Forgive us for how we have so turned against you, turned away from your truth. Lord, we pray for the leaders of our country that they would, that they would repent and turn back to you. Lord, we pray for, for godly men and women to be raised up, not, a, not afraid, not ashamed of the gospel, for that is the power of salvation. Lord, bring revival again to our land. But Lord, begin that in us as we leave here tonight. Lord, I pray that we leave encouraged, knowing that you are in us, knowing that, that your love surrounds us and nothing can separate us from that love. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, just because I read that part in Matthew 7 doesn't mean you don't have to come back this weekend. Right. God bless you guys.